Well, hey, Merry Christmas again uh, to each and every one of you. So glad you're here this morning. And let me say, if you're a guest, uh, particularly honored by your presence this morning, uh, whether you came here with a friend or you came here so that your friend would stop inviting you to church or uh, maybe you just came on your own, whatever brought you here this morning, glad you're here. We want you to have a VIP experience. I don't have any more gifts to give away, but... uh, You'll have a great time, hopefully. And uh, this morning, we're going to begin our Christmas sermon series, and we'll be talking over the next few weeks about expectations. Expectations. Just like with with Christmas gifts, we open, like the video we saw, uh, expectations are uh, a part of the Christmas story. Sometimes what you get is not what you expect, right? Sometimes life gives you raisins, and sometimes you get something better than you expect. And of course, as we're talking about Christmas, we're going to be talking about Jesus. Uh, One thing I know about Jesus is he has an amazing ability to shatter expectations. Uh, Throughout his life, even after his death, he continually shattered people's expectations. A lot of people have preconceived ideas about Jesus, and yet uh, Jesus continually exceeds our expectations. He doesn't fit in any of the boxes that we might want to try to fit him in. So one of the things we're going to explore over these next few Sundays is, is the reality of Jesus. Uh, he's, he's different than what we might expect. So I'm glad you're here, and I encourage you to come back each week with an open mind and, and hold your own expectations loosely. And of course, uh, we're coming off Thanksgiving week. Hope that was a good time for you. It's a beautiful thing to be in December and still have leftover pie from Thanksgiving. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. I, Thanksgiving, you know, all holidays, they come with their own expectations, don't they? Uh, but Thanksgiving in particular has this, sort of this, this heavy expectation about family, and that can go a couple of different ways, right? I mean, it could be a real joy, but then sometimes there's like that one family member who has different political opinions from everybody else in the family, and they want to talk about impeachment hearings over dinner or whatever, but the reality is you can't escape your family. Uh, no matter how hard you try, they're always a part of you. And for some of us, that's great. Uh, it's a source of pride, especially around here in Walla Walla. There's some, some long-standing families that helped settle this area. That comes with a certain amount of pride. I and mean, if you're a person from a certain French background or Italian heritage, you, your family, your family name might be a really great thing, right? You might have a great legacy. Or maybe you don't. Maybe your family is not one that you want to celebrate. Maybe your family has some real troubled characters in the family tree, Maybe there's no buildings or streets here in town named after your family. You'd rather sweep some of that stuff under the rug, forget all about those people. Well, whether your family is something you can be proud of or something you'd rather distance yourself from, you're in good company. Uh, Each of us has a family history that's a little bit of a mixed bag, and we're all in good company because Jesus himself has the same situation. His family tree is full of heroes and zeros, uh, just like yours and mine. And that's just one more way that Jesus shatters expectations. You might expect that Jesus' family tree would be full of perfect people, or, or people who at least have their act together, but, but Jesus has a lot of surprises in his family tree. He's a lot more like you than you might expect. And so today, as we look at the Christmas story, we're going to start at the very, very beginning. Uh, we're going to look at the family tree of Jesus himself. And the story of Jesus is told in, in four different places in the Bible, four uh, books, and all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all record something about the beginning of Jesus' life, but they all come at the story from a slightly different place. And, and this morning, we're going to look at one of those stories from Matthew. 
And we'll start at the very beginning, which is honestly a really overlooked part of the Christmas story. Overlooked because it's just a list of Jesus' family. Uh, Jesus, just a list of names. It's very easy to skip over. We're often tempted to, to overlook it and, and go to the other parts of the Christmas story, the good parts, right? In fact, I've been listening to Christmas music for a couple weeks now, and I've yet to hear a song about the part that we're going to talk about today. It's easy to overlook. Even Kanye West's new album doesn't have a song about the part of the Bible we're going to be looking at this morning. And yet it's very important. It has a lot of encouragement for us this morning and this Christmas season. So, so Matthew, he starts with none of the familiar stuff of Christmas. He doesn't start with, with uh, stars or shepherds or angels or a manger. He doesn't even start with the birth of Jesus. And that's because Christmas is not really about a birth as much as it's about a coming. Uh, Matthew carefully demonstrates for us that Jesus' uh, coming is the fulfillment of a lot of waiting, a lot of expectations being fulfilled through the coming of this baby. See, the Gospel of Matthew, it starts off with this, this list, this genealogy. The very first verse says this, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And you could see on the screens the genealogy goes on, listing all the names. It goes on for 17 verses. There's over 40 generations listed here, but it starts with a bang. I mean, that's a pretty good way to headline your family, aligning yourself with Abraham and David, two of the most revered figures in, in, in the history of Israel. That's pretty good. If you can leave with that kind of thing, you know, that kind of legacy, that's, that's great, you know. And we're not going to read the whole list, but, but you can see the, 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 just the, the, the list details the ancestry of Jesus. Starting with Abraham, goes all the way to King David, and it goes on and on to Joseph and Mary, Jesus' earthly parents. So this morning, as we explore this list, we're going to explore just the beginning of the Christmas story. And we're going to learn some things about God, and we're going to learn some things about ourselves. So the first thing we're going to learn, the first thing that this list teaches us is that Jesus' coming is firmly rooted in history. Matthew starts with his genealogy in part because he wants to root Jesus firmly in history. This genealogy shows where Jesus came from, so to speak. And so the first thing we learn is that this story of Jesus, it's not a, a fairy tale Christmas story. It's not a fantasy story, even though it sounds like a make-believe story, a story about a king from a faraway land who comes to earth. He has miraculous powers. He comes to save the world, but then his enemies turn on him. He's put to death. Seems like all hope is lost. At the last minute, he comes back to life. He saves everyone. I mean, it's the kind of thing that epic fantasy stories are made of, the kind of thing you might find on Disney+, Plus, right? And yet it's not a make-believe story. It's fundamentally different than something like Lord of the Rings or Avengers or Star Wars, whatever, some other mythical thing. It's a real story about a real person. Matthew starts this story off with this list because it roots the story of Christmas firmly in reality. This is the story of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And it's interesting because you can read all kinds of things about Abraham and about David in the Bible. The Bible's full of all kinds of details. But it wasn't very long ago that archaeologists first found evidence of David outside of the Bible, evidence that was beyond what the Bible itself says. It was just 1993 that archaeologists found a stone. This stone has an inscription that says, House of David, used to describe Israel. You can Google that if you want to. But, but there's actual evidence beyond just the, the Bible that indicates David was a real person. 
So David's not just a made-up person. This list connects Jesus to David, which roots Jesus firmly in history. That's the first thing we learn. If that's true, if it's true that this Christmas story, this coming of Jesus, is not just a fairy tale, then it means something else very, very important. It means that the biblical story about Jesus is not just advice. Let me explain what I mean. We read fairy tales to kids in order to, to teach them things, advice for life, right? So Little Red Riding Hood teaches us not to talk to strangers because it's dangerous. Three Little Pigs teaches us that hard work and determination is worth it. It'll pay off in the end, right? We tell stories about princes and princesses to learn things about true love or bravery, all these kinds of lessons. But the coming of Jesus is firmly rooted in history, then his story is not just advice. It's not just a lesson in how we should live. It's not a story that we look at and say, oh, I should live my life like this now. It's not advice. Instead, it's good news. And here's why that's so important. Advice tells you what you must do. News is a report about what's already been done. Advice tells you to make something happen. And news tells you just to recognize something that's already happened and respond to it. Advice says it's all up to you to act. News says somebody else has acted. So it's not just a story about here's what you got to do, but instead it's a story of good news with great joy. And that's a radical difference from what we might expect. It's also a radical difference from, from all the other religion in the world. I mean, every other religion, and honestly, a lot of churches... When they talk about Jesus, when they talk about salvation, the ultimate message of Jesus, they just understand it. They proclaim it as advice. Salvation is something you've got to wrestle with, you've got to struggle for, you've got to perform. It's not good news that comes to you, but instead many people would say, it only comes to you if you do this, if you obey, if you clean up your life first. And then you've got to keep doing those things over and over again. It's exhausting. But Matthew here, right from the beginning, he shatters that expectation because the gospel of Jesus is totally different. The founders of all these religions say, in one way or another, they all say, I came to show you what spiritual reality is like. Do this. That's advice. That's, that's Hinduism, Buddhism. Honestly, Seventh-day Adventism might even say that. Advice, not good news. You've got to do something. And yet Jesus comes and he says, I am spiritual reality. You could never come up to me, and so I came to you. That's news, and it's very good news. So that's one thing we can learn from this overlooked part of the Christmas story. But let's take a deeper look at some of this news and learn some other things from it. Just like we started talking about, our families can be full of of good folks and bad folks, and we tend to want to highlight the good folks only, right, to make ourselves look better. Yeah, one of the other striking things about the way Matthew begins the Christmas story is he tells us all the story. He doesn't edit out the bad parts at all. This list of people is a pretty seedy list of characters. It's, it's a shocking genealogy when you get right down to it. I mean, for one thing, it includes five different women. And, and for a patriarchal society like Matthew's writing to, that alone would be shocking. Nobody included women in their lineage. I mean, even though without women... You can't have babies, but, uh, but still, it's a shocking inclusion for this culture, right? Even more than that, most of the women here are Gentiles. They're not Jews. That's another shocking piece. I mean, expectations being shattered right and left here. No Jew with any self-respect would acknowledge that there were Gentiles in his family line. 
And yet Jesus' family is full of outsiders, gender outsiders and racial outsiders. But perhaps what's the most shocking is the the particular women who are listed here. Not only are they uh, racial outsiders, gender outsiders, but the women bring to mind some of the most sordid parts of the Bible, some of the most horrifying episodes in Bible history, things you didn't learn about in Sunday school. You know, the kind of stuff you leave off your own family tree. So let's dive into some of these sordid parts, right? Right away in this list, in verse 3, it mentions uh, Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. So in case you're not familiar with that story, Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah. But don't worry, it gets worse. Her husband, Judah's son, had died, and, and Judah had wronged her, no doubt about that. But Tamar tricked Judah into sleeping with her, and she gave birth to these twins, Perez and Zerah. So this is an act of incest. I mean, everywhere, all over the world, against the law of God. And even though Jesus was descended from Perez, not from Zerah, Matthew includes both Perez and Zerah, both Judah and Tamar, to make sure that we bring the whole story to mind. It's out of that dysfunctional family that the Messiah comes. It's an awful story in every way, and yet it's right here, top of the resume. So if you think your family tree has some bad branches, you're not alone. But that's not enough. There's there's other shocking bits here. Notice in uh, verse 5, this woman Rahab is mentioned. She was a prostitute and a Canaanite, not the kind of person you want to highlight in your family tree. You get to the next section, the end of verse 6, there's another awful Bible moment on display. The verse tells us, David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Now, highlighting David, king of Israel, Solomon, one of the wisest people who ever lived, that seems like a great idea, a great thing to emphasize. But you can't escape the reality that Solomon was born to David by the wife of another person, the wife of Uriah. Now, if you don't know anything about the story of David, you might kind of skim over this part, but Matthew's highlighting one of the darker moments in Israel's history. When David was young, he had this this band of loyal men, soldiers who were just completely devoted to him. They, they were called his mighty men, and they repeatedly risked their lives for him. One of those men was Uriah. He was a very loyal companion of David, and when David became king, he saw Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, and he had to have her. He had her brought in to sleep with him. She got pregnant, so he arranged to have Uriah killed so that he could marry Bathsheba. So while having King David in your lineage seems like a real boost Matthew is is detailed, he's careful enough to include the man with deep flaws and all. And it's out of this very dysfunctional family that the Messiah came. The presence of these particular women is very intentional because it highlights not only that these gender and racial outsiders are a part of Jesus' family, but it also tells us that even the most prominent male members, Judah and David, are moral failures. So a big lesson we can learn from this list is that Jesus' family is just like yours and mine full of screw-ups, full of outcasts. It tells us that people who are excluded by culture, excluded by respectable society, even excluded by the law of God, can be brought into Jesus' family. It doesn't matter your pedigree. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter whether you've killed people. If you repent and believe in him, the grace of Jesus Christ can cover your sin and unite you to him. So these outsiders are invited in, they're they're written into the story of Jesus. But it's not just the outsiders that have things to teach us. Even these most prominent names here are included only by grace. Look again at King David. He had all of that culture's power credentials. He was a man, not a woman. He was a Jew and not a Gentile. He was royalty and not poor. 
And as Matthew shows us, he can only be in the family by grace. His evil deeds were worse than anything done by any of the women in this history. And yet there he stands. So it's not just the good people who are in, the bad people who are out. Everybody is in only by the grace of Jesus Christ. It's only what Jesus has done for you that could give you standing before God. So this genealogy teaches us some things about God. Jesus came. He invaded history in order to change the world. His coming is not advice. It's not a call to clean up your act or or try really hard to earn your way into God's family. It's It's not an example to follow. It's just good news. Good news that God sent his son to be with us and to make a way for us to be in his family. It's good news that even the worst among us still has a place in the story. That's really good news. So that's what this list teaches us about God. But what does it teach us about ourselves? I want to mention a couple of things we can learn about ourselves from this genealogy. First, what are our expectations? Or maybe a better way to say it is, what are you waiting for? God has already brought deliverance. Jesus has already come. God has already fulfilled his promise. There's nothing else that you need from God that he hasn't already provided. The coming of Jesus is good news because it doesn't ask you to do anything else. It doesn't require you to look a certain way or act a certain way or vote a certain way. It shatters all our expectations. That's what Jesus does best. God has done all the work through Jesus. In this genealogy, Matthew makes a lot of mention of the the number of generations. If you look at the end of the list, he actually highlights that there's six groups of sevens, six groups of of seven generations from Abraham to Jesus, and Jesus begins the, the seventh. And that's significant because throughout the Bible, that number seven, it shows up to indicate God's perfection or or God's rest. You know, God rested on the seventh day because everything he made was perfect. Throughout the law of Moses, there's there's commands to rest on the seventh day, the seventh year, and and, and so on. So Matthew's telling us that, that Jesus' coming brings rest for us. Rest from our striving, rest from our attempts to to do and to earn and to work for God's favor. Jesus has done the work, and we can rest in him. Another thing it teaches us, it's a lesson for those who are Jesus followers. Many of us have already made that decision to follow Jesus. I think there's a lesson in this genealogy specific for us. For Jesus to embrace this family, this family full of dysfunctional people, that means that Jesus was all in. He held nothing back in his relationship with us and with the world. I mean, think about it. God could have orchestrated any kinds of people to be in this line that produced the Messiah. And these are the folks he chose. He didn't hold anything back. I think that's a good example for us. We shouldn't write people off. We shouldn't hold ourselves back from certain relationships, certain types of people, certain situations, simply because they seem out of God's reach. Nobody is out of the reach of God, and he's challenging you and I to go and to reach them, to be a part of the story. Go all in on the family of God. Finally, Jesus is inviting you to be a part of his family. We've already seen this list is full of screw-ups and outcasts. That's just the ones we know about. There's some names here we don't know anything about. They might even be worse. But for each person in this family, God has kept his promise. For each person in this family, Jesus has extended an invitation to come and be a part of God's family. And maybe you say, well, God 
maybe kept his promise to me, but I haven't kept any promises to him. I've messed up my life. It can't be made right. But look again at the genealogy. We talked about Judah and Tamar, but Judah's own father was just as problematic. In verse 2, it says, Jacob was the father of Judah, who was the ancestor of Jesus. Well, do you know why Judah was a child of Jacob? It's because Jacob lied to his father, uh, deceived Isaac, got the firstborn's birthright that should have gone to his brother Esau. Well, because of that deception, Jacob fractured his family, turned Esau against him, had to flee his land, became a fugitive. He lost his family. He experienced terrible consequences for his sin. And yet it was only because of all that that he met Leah, who became an ancestor of the Messiah. So you see what God's able to do here? I mean, what Jacob did was wrong. He suffered for it, and yet God is greater than our sin. He used all that sordidness, stupidity, and sin to bring about his promise. With God, there's no second best. He extends an invitation for you and me to be a part of his family. In a sense, you could say that Jesus is is giving you a gift. His invitation is just like a a Christmas gift. And when somebody gives you a Christmas gift, you, you don't work so you can pay them back for it. You don't refuse it, unless maybe it's raisins. Uh, you just accept it. Accept the gift. And the way to accept the gift of Jesus is very, very simple. It, it, to be a part of God's family, you, you only have to do one thing. It, it's so simple that it trips people up. We all want to make it more complicated. We all want to add steps to it. But we all want to turn it into advice and not good news, right? But you don't have to do anything. Just believe. Believe that Jesus is who he said he is, and that he really can make you a part of his family. And in just a moment, I'm going to give each of us a chance to do that, to put our faith in Jesus. And the way to do that is very simple, just to pray, just talk to God, just tell God you believe, you want to follow Jesus. You may not even fully understand everything that that means, but that's okay, you just got to start. Just admit to God that you need him in your life. You need the, the love and acceptance that comes from being a part of Jesus' family. I'm going to give each of us a chance to do that. Will you bow your heads with me? And you can just pray in your head along with what I say. God, I want to pray for the person who's listening, who needs you in their life, the person who's been chasing after love and acceptance in all the wrong kinds of ways, trying and failing to define themselves and really to find you. And I pray for that person that they would just surrender themselves to you right now. Stop resisting you. you. You want to be with us, Jesus. You demonstrated great love for us in not only coming, but in dying for us, dying on the cross to pay the punishment for our sins, to give us peace with God, a reconciled relationship with God. And I pray that you would just make that a reality for each and every one of us here, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Before we wrap things up, I want to give you just a couple more thoughts, a couple of brief things that you can take away with you. Uh, First, the the kind of love that Jesus offers, the kind of peace that maybe you're finding for the first time today, it's not necessarily instant change. I mean, sometimes it is, sometimes you feel it right away, but more often it's, it's slow growth, it's change over time. And so I share that with you really to encourage you, because if you've made a decision Uh, This morning, it's easy to fall back into old habits, but Jesus wants you to have real, lasting, a a permanent place in his family. So I want to give you just a couple of options for how you can lock in the decision that you might have made. Uh, First, and and the very simplest, is just to mark your connection card 
um, there's a place right at the top, some little check boxes there. One says, I would like to speak with a pastor, and if, if that's where you're at, uh, we'd love to help process things that are going on in your life. Uh, the next says, I would like more information about a relationship with God. We'd love to help walk you through that, answer any questions that you have. And the third one there uh, says, today I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And uh, if you've checked that, man, we will celebrate with you. We, we'd love to help you. We've got some resources for you, things that will help you make some sense of, of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. So, so marking your connection card, that's one easy way to follow up from today. Uh, here's another way. I've got this book that uh, we'd love to give you, just a short little book that kind of continues the conversation that we've started this morning. It's an easy read. It's just a, my free gift to you. There's a bunch of copies out at our guest services center, so you can pick one of those up uh, out in the lobby. And if you finish reading this book, I'd love for you to read uh, the Gospel of John, one of the books of the Bible. It's right there. It's an entire book that talks about what it really means to have a relationship with God through Jesus. So you can read through John and <clears throat> learn a lot about Jesus. So it's all there, just, just waiting for us. So those are some options you have for following up from today, from the things we talked about. Let me pray for us one more time. God, uh, I want to pray again for that person who is uh, coming to your family maybe for the first time or, or trying to make sense of what that looks like. And, uh, and I don't know what's going on in people's hearts, but you do. And so I pray that you would just give that person exactly what they need to be able to uh, follow you, to be able to put their faith in Jesus. And for those of us who are already Jesus followers, Lord, I pray that you would give us uh, an increasing encouragement to be all in all in, not just with the family that's in this room, but with uh, the whole world, the whole world that you want to be a part of your family, Lord. We know that's why you came, that's why you sent your son Jesus to, to reconcile the whole world uh, to you, to a relationship with you, and we want to be a part of the work you're doing. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.